enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic, down to that rare gem, leaning in your window, eating your beans (laughs) at the back of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I are going to talk about the 19... Oh, wait, I should mention, uh, today... Is the start of a new mini series uh, that uh, celebrates America since it's July, and it's called America. <laughs> and what better way to start it off than with the suburban haunted house fun time movie, <laughs> Poltergeist <laughs> from 1982? Tim, I was going to say, have you ever been in a haunted house and realized that was a ridiculous question so what's the most haunted house you've ever been in uh like actually haunted yes well um when i was a kid like i knew it was a ridiculous question because you would be like i've been in several (laughs) yeah i've worked at some actually um some uh some fun ones but some real ones i i've i've had a some experience with when i was a kid um the the first house that i i grew up in uh in the basement there there was always a strange feeling down there. And there was one day in particular where I was down in the basement and the light was coming through the the basement window and I could kind of see the dust particles in the air as the sunlight's coming through. And I felt as if something was speaking to me. I felt as if there, certainly that there was a presence there. It was holding my attention. It was, um, I don't want to say summoning me, but it, it was uh beckoning beckoning. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it had something that it wanted to say. It, it wanted to confront me. Um, so, so certainly that was the, the first experience then, um, in actually a very recent conversation, uh, with my mom, um, she has had, and I've mentioned this a little bit on the show before, She's had quite a bit of experience, extensive experience with visitation of deceased relatives of ours um, to where in not only in dreams, but in a a state of consciousness, um, hearing them speak to her, uh, you know, just very basics like her name or what have you. Um, And uh, and it just seems to be something. Well, it is something that she absolutely believes in. And it kind of ties in really well with this movie because. Again, like I've I've talked about with uh, mentioning my mom before, she's very down to earth. She's not, um, you know, she's not one to hyperbolize or or amplify things just for effect. I would agree with that. But she absolutely looked me dead in the eye in this most recent conversation, and she said, "There absolutely is an afterlife. I can promise you that." And she wasn't saying it in a religious context, like sure. as a believer. She was saying it as someone who has very, very clearly experienced visitations from whatever that other side is. So 
Um, as far as buildings in particular, though, if, if we're really talking about hauntings, I'll just throw this in real quick. The first and last house that I bought, because I found out that at least for me, being a homeowner is absolute garbage. Yes. Uh, it's, it's just a, a one-way ticket to just Stressville nonstop. <laughs> but in the beginning, I was I was excited, and it was the first time that I went to the house by myself. I had literally just gotten the key. I had somewhere that I had to be, but I'm like, I want to use my own key and go into my house. Right. You know. So I went in there. There was no one there. I go down in the basement, and the f- sound of the footsteps upstairs was so clear that I call out, Who's there? Like thinking maybe it's the realtor or uh, something like that. And, uh, you know, no answer. And I, I ask again, you know, who's there? Like, is, is anybody up there? And it was absolutely nobody. But the fucking footsteps was, I mean, there's nothing else that could have mimicked that cadence and that sound yeah. uh, other than that. And um, I might have even mentioned this on the show before because the people that ended up buying the house about a two years later found me in a bar somewhere and were talking to me about it. And they said, um, by the way, did you ever sense anything in that, in that place? And I just, I I couldn't even hide it. Like I wanted to be nice about it and be like, I don't know, maybe once or twice, but no, I told them like, fuck. Yes, I did. Absolutely. And they just looked at me like, like they were receiving vindication. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that house clearly had, some activity going on and i and i believe that wholeheartedly i know you <laughs> yeah what do you think it is about the physical structure of a man-made home that can contain a free and ethereal spirit like what do you think what what power do you think drywall has over the undead or well the dead the newly de- deceased or longly deceased who knows how long the house has been there and the ghost has been trapped inside well, that is that is a good skeptical question, <laughs> but I'm going to come back at you with this. It's not so much about the house. It's that they are desiring to have contact with you. And where are you? You're in the house. So where else would they be? Yeah. Well, why can't they follow me to my car? Uh, come to work. Noisy, why isn't anyone's office outside. complex <laughs> just riddled with the ghosts that have followed you from home? To yeah. want to talk. And they're like, my God, there are so many more people in this grocery store than at the house. Why wouldn't the ghost then hang out in that grocery store? Well, that's, <laughs> you know, it, th- these are valid questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't really hear much about ghost stories just like <laughs> yeah, out in your backyard. No, it's usually, wow, when I was alone and uh, my mind was free to race. Right. This crazy thing happened to me, which could only be attributed to a dead human. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, if you look at it that way, I, I, you know, you, you, you have a point. That's worth I, know, it. I know ghosts are fun. Ghosts are fun. They are. And uh, and the, the here's the great thing. I could um, see how that would make me mad as a ghost if I was like, oh, finally, I've broken free. I'm no longer alive or dead, free to experience the world. God Damn it, I'm stuck in this house. Yeah, that's that's no way to go through life or death for that matter. Yeah, if you leave a window open, can the ghost get out? So many questions. So many questions that we will eventually definitely get the real scientific answers to. (laughs) Well, you know, um, it it reminds me of, I think you'll appreciate this. I think we were talking about this recently, but um, the, the actual 
literal definition of what most native tribes have for the word for God, a lot of people translate as the great spirit, but it's, it's more succinctly uh, translated as the great mystery. So it's an idea that there is something that we feel aware of, but if we're not meant to have all those answers right now, yeah. then why would we try to? We just, it's not meant well, that's for... That's human nature. It's not, it's not meant for our, you know, plane of existence. Why or, would we try to get the answers to the questions well, we can't answer? Or, or not, not so much not try, but why would we, why would we pretend to know something that well, we that can't I'm necessarily... Well, that I'm on board with. Don't pretend oh, you, you know. Be. Yeah, that. <laughs> I'm on like board with that. But... That's the, that I'm on board with, but try and find the correct answers so that you stop making up yes. fun answers. Ghosts are fun. <laughs> they are fun. Yeah. Because they because we can't determine what their power level is or what they can do. So we, in stories, can make them do whatever we want. It's true. Um, which is much nicer than them making us do whatever they want. <laughs> right. that's, that's where it gets scary. But until then, it's all fun. Um, Speaking of someone uh, making someone do what they want. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about Poltergeist from 1982. Now, it was written by the young auteur at the time, Steven Spielberg, yet directed by a, I don't know, was he seasoned? He wasn't really seasoned at this point, but he'd had, he's got a few movies under his belt. Toby Hooper, one of our favorites. One of the OGs. Yeah. Uh, it stars Craig T. Nelson, Joe Beth Williams, Zelda Rubenstein. It had a budget of ten point seven million box office. It was a hit, Tim. One hundred and twenty-one million dollars. Uh, let's throw out Nan Sum real quick. The Freelings have been experiencing some crazy things in their home: chairs moving by themselves, strange voices from the TV, and now their daughter Carol Ann has been sucked into another plane of existence. The family seeks the help of a team of paranormal investigators and a psychic to bring back their daughter and to rid their home from this spectral nuisance. Poltergeist. And what a nuisance it is. It is. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Although, I mean, spoiler, can we even say it? I mean, it's more of a they, right? I don't know. I suppose. They never yeah. really explain that. Well, that, that is something that I want to ask you about a little bit, because uh, as I was doing some research, I kind of stumbled across, you know, a, a certain plot outline. And I was like, oh, oh, that's what's happening. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I kind of feel like I know exactly what happens in Poltergeist. I've never struggled with that. But then it, when I read that, I'm like, I, I didn't really pick that up. Uh, it was kind of in reference to the beast. OK. Uh, as opposed to just the legion of people on the other side or lost or whatever they may be. But yeah, this is, um, wow, what a movie. It, it was the number one horror film of that year yeah. and the number eight overall film of 1982. And there were some heavy hitters at that point, mm -hmm. uh, ETA included. Um, so what is it that made this stand out? Because it really did. I mean, I clearly, even though we were younger, clearly remember this movie having an impact on just about everybody. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I think... There's well, there's several reasons. Number one, it's fantastic, goddamn fantastic movie. Yeah, get that out of the way. But the thing is that I think really made it stand out, just even just from its exterior, you know, um, storyline and and uh, the the look of it and the overall topic and everything was exactly that. It was the topic of a ghost story. You're looking at 
you're sitting right in the middle of of slasher's golden age okay it's only four years after halloween yeah um all of the fridays are only just coming out in like 80 81 82 so you know people had kind of forgotten about ghost stories i mean What's so frightening about a ghost story when you have a guy with a a machete? Yeah, and, and it's a very 1950s, 60s idea. It feels like. Yeah, and and it's like and and there's so much sexiness to slasher films. Like I'm not even sure if I knew what a machete was before <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth. Right. <laughs> but I'm like, what a great weapon! It's a knife. It's just a really fucking gigantic one. Um, so yeah, there yeah, was like a, a utility sword, <laughs> <laughs> right, which even that sounds cool. Yeah. Um, but they gave it an even cooler name. Um, so yeah, it's, Machete. uh, it's a great time for all of that stuff to happen. And then right in smack dab in the middle of that, we get this haunted house family centric ghost story, which, which wouldn't make any sense as far as getting anybody's attention other than. The, which is the point I'm getting at, that it was different, that it stood out. Yeah. And then you have the fact that it's an amazing movie. <laughs> uh, so you and I have spent. Well, yeah, a lot of iconic imagery came out even before it was out. It just a yeah, it has that Spielberg. Some it's it's so hard to describe uh, just the how you feel when you watch a Spielberg movie, you know? Oh, I, I thought- mean, I know people have like analyzing, be like, here's the type of shots he uses, and like, here's you know, here's his signature way to set up a scene or whatever. But it's just there's something visually that just hits your eye where you're like, ah, there it is, there it is. Well, I'll tell you what it is, because <laughs> I have been having that same thought and going round and round in my mind. And you're right, there's probably some. Guy out there, even you and I could probably sit here and and really pick apart some technical signatures that that would stand out and say, okay, yeah, that's that's a Spielberg movie. But I think it's I think it's simpler than that. And I I thought a lot about this, and what I came up with is that it all goes back to being a good storyteller. Yeah. And it, whether you're you're talking about movies or just you know sitting around with friends. We know what makes a good story, right? The first thing that a story can't be is boring. Uh, the second thing is it's got to have some pacing. It's got to also have some dynamics. You know, you you raise your voice and then you, you know, bring it down a little bit. And then just around the corner, you're not going to believe this. Bam! You know, you're just using those up and down dynamics commands people's attention. It makes them want to listen. And I think that that's really what Spielberg is, is that he has a very keen sense of what a viewer's experience is within the context of those 90 minutes. Yeah. When does he have to grab their attention? When does he have to keep their attention? Um, When does he have to kind of nurture them a little bit? When can he kind of, you know, bring the intensity? And he's just really... He's just a well-crafted storyteller, and that's what bleeds onto the screen so much. Because you're right, when you watch it, it's like it's like an embrace. Yeah. It's like a comforting embrace to watch a Spielberg movie. And it's like, oh yeah. And so, also, I was going to bring up. There's a lot of iconic imagery in this. Well, maybe not a lot, but the the silhouette of Carol Ann on the TV is so iconic, and it's not that. You know, only Steven Spielberg come up with iconic <laughs> moments. But if he's involved in it, it's just like, damn, of course he did. <laughs> you know, right? Um, 
Well, and you're right. And there's the thing is that that I remembered when when you and I watched it recently is it's got kind of like iconic moments to burn. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, you, it, there's obviously the the hands on the the TV screen, and that will forever be burned into all of our minds. But um, even like there's some throwaway scenes. Like speaking of throwaway, the character of Dana, who is the the eldest daughter. Which I mean, I'm telling you, I guess I have tread, to tread, light, tread I have to lightly. Tread. <laughs> you say Sorry. throw away. Like, yeah. I, speaking. <laughs> oh no! Only character-wise. Yes, right? character. Character-wise is all I'm, I'm speaking to. We'll get to that other stuff later. But um, no, that is rarely okay. If there's a movie that I like, it, it, the oldest daughter is very expendable in this you, movie. You could, though. you could pull which her they don't right out, <laughs> like, which, which they don't. But, today she would die, and if if this were made. Well, okay, because this was remade essentially today, but <laughs> this story, that type of character, I could see her dying. Right. But here's the thing. The, the, my point is, is that we're here, we're talking about her being sort of uh, expendable, or the part being expendable, the character. But yet, you know, she's great for that one moment towards the end when things are, the shit is hitting what the is fan. Happening? What is happening? That had to be the audition, yeah. <laughs> Even that right there is like, that's a line that could define a movie, you know, and, and for, but for a movie like Poltergeist, it's just one of 20 <laughs> moments or lines right. that define a movie. So, um, yeah, it's, it's got, uh, talent to burn the, the it's, it's so effortless and that's kind of an ironic thing to say about this movie. Cause I was watching some behind the scenes footage and <clears throat> I suppose that this would go for just about any movie. But I was literally just, I was floored. I, I could not believe the monumental effort going into an effects-heavy movie like this, which did use some, I guess I, you wouldn't call it CGI, but it, I mean, there was some no, yeah, this, animation. Yeah. But a Post, huge... Post-effects. Yes. But a huge amount of mechanical effects in, in the moment on the set. And... I'll tell you, it was almost like you had to catch your breath as I'm watching this behind the scenes footage. Yeah. All of these cables, all of these lights, all of these people, these fans, the wind, the rain, everything is happening. And you're like, my God, I can't believe that somebody can pull this all together and focus it and make this product. It's amazing. Right. Absolutely amazing. Um, So let's just speak to that elephant in the room here real quick uh, about who really was in charge of all of that. <laughs> uh, I feel like we have the answer. Yeah. So uh, it, <laughs> it's, yeah, Hollywood lore up until, I don't know, recently, I, I think it's pretty well uh, established. But so for a long time, there were, there were rumors about who directed this movie because Toby Hooper is, is uh, cor- credited as the director. Steven Spielberg has his name it literally in yeah, the credits everywhere else produced it yeah and um so these rumors were floating around that it, it really wasn't toby that it was steven that that directed the whole thing the whole time um i mean for god's sake the the dad the father's character name in the movie is steven yeah <laughs> like it's he's all over the place well and, and but he was doing et at the time right and he had a deal with columbia who were, they were like, you're not allowed to direct more than one picture at a time. Yeah. And he went, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> right. And and uh, the thing of it is, is that it, there there are several different things that you hear. And I think that the answer probably lays or lies somewhere in the, the middle of all of it. One one quote um, was speaking to the fact that there was an impending director strike. So what do you do? You're you're you've got everything that I was just describing, the, the massive effort of putting this movie together. What the hell do you do? If there's a director strike and all of a sudden you lose your director and you shut down production, um, you can't have that happen. But what if the director isn't credited as the director that he's credited as a producer? Yeah. That way, if the strike happens and our quote unquote director has to go away, it's OK because the real director is still here. So that makes a lot of sense, I yeah. suppose. It's a pretty crafty idea. See, um, I didn't. I couldn't find. Uh, you'd mentioned that before, and I couldn't find anything on that. I don't know where I was looking, but that sounds weird because Spielberg would still be a part of the Directors Guild. So if his union went on strike, just because he wasn't the current director on that movie, they wouldn't be like, "Well, you got us." All right. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Um, I I think he would have to just find another scrub and be like, "I'm still the producer." Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it it was um, it was a kind of a risky move if that was in fact. So maybe the, that was it. Like he wouldn't then be able to step <clears> in <throat> as the director. Maybe there is that thing on the strike. I just couldn't find it. Um, but that does make sense because yes, then he would still be able to be involved, but he wouldn't have to leave the picture because he was the director. Right. I get it. If if you if he would have just gotten another person. Yeah. If you want Toby too. <laughs> right. <laughs> If you want my opinion, I honestly, if you're really just putting the the puzzle pieces together, I think it probably went a lot like this. Steven Spielberg has two major projects that he is, you know, they're both pa uh, passion projects, and he knows that they're going to be happening at the same time. A lot of times in Hollywood, you don't have a choice of when something happens. It's just when the money's there and the 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 talent is there in the location has been set and everything is good to go. You, you don't have a choice. You have, you can't just change schedules around. Right. You have to do it when it's, when it's time. So if you've got two projects that are essentially overlapping each other, I think what probably happened is that he knew that he was going to be spreading himself a little thin. So he reached out to a director that he had been impressed by with uh, Texas chainsaw with yeah, uh, Funhouse. Of, I mean, they know the genre. Yeah. And you just kind of bring them on to so that, you know, even though you're still going to be the one in charge, it's not like you have to be there for absolutely every single thing. Let him set up the shots. Let him talk with the actors a little bit. And then I'm going to come in and fix it all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in and, and sign off on it to say if it's okay. If it's not okay, I'm going to change it. But you do kind of the grunt work, basically. Yeah. So like when they let Ringo play drums. <laughs> right, yeah. If you want to call it that. Uh, actually, I like Ringo as a drummer. I do. Um, but uh, no, it's, um, I don't know. I think it's, I, I don't really even understand why there is that much controversy about it. They probably should have just listed him as a co-director. Um, that would have been easier. And I think that that's probably what the reality of the situation was. Yeah. However, I watched some of that behind the scenes footage. And like I told you earlier, they could have called this little documentary that I was watching um, Steven Spielberg directing a movie. That's that's what this could have been called, because it was every 
single scene of somebody directing this movie was him. Yeah. And Toby Hooper was around. I mean, he was there. Yeah. <laughs> but well, they say much. like on the set, the guy yelling like cut in action was Toby Hooper. You know, well, there was a lot of uh, people saving face on this movie. Like they knew the. Because if they're like, yeah, Steven Spielberg directed this. Now you've got a breach of contract with Columbia. A lot of issues with the guild or whatever. So, I mean, there was probably a lot of people who were doing them a solid. Yeah. By <laughs> not. Right. Destroying the facade. Yeah. And it's it's. um. So it's yeah, it, it's something that I think that as years went on, people felt more comfortable speaking to. Um, I think that Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper probably are are tired of hearing about it, so they they're kind of dismissive when it comes up. Yeah, but yeah, the as time goes on, uh, people that were directly involved in the production or or as actors have you know kind of come right out and said like yeah it's it's steven's movie you yeah. know um so so there you have it i mean it's is it a big hollywood mystery that we've solved i don't think so but <laughs> it is kind of interesting it's, it's very fascinating just yeah. as as a uh, example of how of the red tape that goes on in the industry that we glamorize and think is like just fun and like you're just lucky to be able to do it and it's like no it's a pain in the ass there are a lot of uh Egos and uh, contracts and, uh, you know, legal bullshit of these like narrow thin things you're allowed to do and aren't do or say or not say or show or not show. What a pain in the ass. Right. Yeah. What a business. And to, to do two at once. <laughs> Exhausting thinking about it. I know. I know. Um, but it's obvious that the guy. Oh, I mean, Steven Spielberg always was. In fact, um if I'm not mistaken, I think he cast Carol Ann. She was just eating lunch with her, with her family. And he had auditioned Drew Barrymore for it, uh -huh. but he didn't feel like she was angelic enough, which is, I suppose, a no, little bit of, she's a, a little precocious. Yeah. And a little bit of a prophecy of her teenage years there. <laughs> uh, but so, you know, he, but he did like her for ET. So he ended up using her there, but um, yeah, he saw uh, Heather, uh, is it Heather O'Rourke? Yeah, Heather O'Rourke. O'Rourke. And uh, she was just eating, you know, just uh, lunch with her family. And he went over there, probably looked super creepy. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> hey, your daughter's real cute. Can I put her in a movie I'm making? Can I put your angelic daughter in my movie? <laughs> yeah, that that that's hard to pull off. But uh, but he got her. And um, the first audition that she had, um, and and by the way, it's it's worth talking about her as as the first actor that we're mentioning in this movie, because she's absolutely fucking fantastic. I mean, yeah. her, her screen presence, everything is so amazing. It's a huge part of the movie's success. Oh yeah. Is With how the, right. Just, she's uh, so adorable. Um, pulls the kid thing off. Great. And I know it's the way it's written, but even, like when they're in the kitchen and she's the, the mom's so excited about showing all the weird stuff that's been happening and she's just like i'm hungry though like yeah. i got my priorities and it's hunger right now isn't that funny how like that vibe came off the screen even i even remember that vibe when i was a kid and watching it i'm like this little girl's just kind of cool yeah like, she just doesn't give a shit and that's kind of funny because when he when he brought her she's in for the first creepy like They'd put like a really like sallow eyed creepy kid in it now if they remade it again. I did not see the remake, so oh. I don't know what the decisions they made. Um, 
but you know, she's yeah, she's just kind of precious. Yeah. And and she comes in for her first audition and uh just laughs. I can't stop laughing all the way through it. And while Steven Spielberg really likes the look of her, he's like, maybe she's just too young, like too young to really get a handle on this. Yeah. But he really wanted her and he brought her back in and he told her to bring a, a book of hers to read so that he knew at least it was going to be something that she was engaged in, that she could focus on something and you know not worry about reading lines. Just read this story that you like. So she did that and, and she was able to, to focus. And what really sold it, though, is <laughs> kind of awesome. He wanted her to scream. And he told her, you know, I want you to scream as loud and as long as you can. And she screamed and screamed and kept screaming until she started crying. He's like, you're hired. Like, fuck yeah, this kid is fucking nuts. And uh, so <laughs> I can't just I, I just can just imagine what that audition looked like, like yeah. the most terrifying thing in the world. But uh, but it worked. And she yeah, she had that that great presence. God, when she's just coming down that amazing staircase in the living room, which, yeah, by the way, that staircase deserves its own podcast. That's, oh, that thing is fucking that awesome. staircase makes me nervous. It, yeah, it, it looks a little it looks, fragile. It, doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> it looks a little fragile. I'm going over the side of one of those rails someday yeah and it twists like twice like my god yeah it's a little yeah it's Honey, almost like i a, found something perfect for our small children yeah i got this surrealist <laughs> like yeah. nihilistic staircase for our family that's, what part, I put, that's part of the phase five mc escher comes in and starts yeah, building right. your staircase but we're gonna literally put carpet on every single surface in the house so it's gonna be fine <laughs> It's going to be comfortable, but um, she's coming down those stairs and uh, now I'm just used to it. The cat, the, the cat attacked me. Okay. <laughs> now it's a bit on the show. Yeah. yeah. It's become a bit. Keeps me on my toes. Um, but she's coming down that staircase. And the first thought that I had is, my God, she's little. Like she's young. Mm-hmm. And I, I remembered her being, you know, probably because I'm sort of mixing it in with thinking about the sequels her being at least a couple of years older. Right. Um, but seeing her in that first one, I'm like, Dad, how did they get this kid to do this? Um, and uh, But she did. I, apparently, the only thing she was afraid about was uh, when she's kind of getting sucked into the closet and, you know, they've got the wind machine on and everything and she's screaming. Yeah. And yeah, that, that would be terrifying for sure. anybody. So, but yeah, she is amazing. But it, it kind of brings us to what really, I, I think, is the second component of this movie you don't have a movie without ghosts right it's called poltergeist right so you need ghosts the second thing that you need is family. which are a type of ghost if i'm not mistaken right yeah it's like they're they're known as a sort of um pesky and uh they're they're like an unrestful spirit right so they're kind of just fucking shit up you know they're they're being um they're playing with you they're annoying you yeah um but yeah, kind of funny. I mean, I guess uh, you know how we love our titles. Is this the first uh, German title that we've ever covered? Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, I know we have a listener right now that's probably yelling at the uh, the speaker. <laughs> Obviously, I'm guessing Geist is ghost or spirit. Um, I don't know what Polter would be. Um, I I don't know, but yeah. uh, I know it it translates to something specifically, but. 
But yeah, so you've got you've got that ghost thing, but y- you have to have the family, and what a family it is. They they wanted unknowns or relative unknowns. Um, Craig T. Nelson and uh, Joe Beth Williams were both in Stir Crazy, but there wasn't much more than that. Yeah, um, they neither one of them. They were had, both in that movie. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you like Stir Crazy? Did you see Stir Crazy? Yeah, I actually have. Yeah, a mutual friend of ours, you know, yeah. insisted that I watch at yeah. least a couple scenes. But uh, yeah, it's hilarious. That movie. Uh, Turn me on to a, 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 a syndrome that I say movies have. It's stir crazy syndrome where the first like third of it is hilarious and gold until they introduce that one plot device. So in stir crazy, it's when uh, uh, Gene Wilder first gets on that mechanical bull movies over for me after <laughs> that point like that. It's just dumb. And now they're just servicing this dumb rodeo story now. Uh, stripes. It's when they graduate. That's a different story because that's like. Oh, but yeah, I know what you. I can. I can see what you yeah. mean. Though. Uh, Super Troopers has that too. Uh, I think the first third of that movie is awesome, and then the first the find the truck with drugs, and it's just like serviceable after that. But it has funny moments. Like maybe they'll have moments, but they're not the the last sixty percent not as captivating as the first forty. So you're you're saying that it it almost feels like the filmmakers who are making movies with that syndrome feel like okay we've got to we got to pull this thing into focus right we, you yeah, know like, like they feel like oh okay we, we got to keep making jokes this whole movie right, right when actually yeah you could, you could and we'd love it if you did yeah um <laughs> yeah, this movie doesn't have that and I just uh had to brag about the thing I, I made up. Right. No, but that's that's actually like, now that you say it out loud, it's like, yeah, there are movies that have that specific thing, that yeah. very thing. Um, this movie, however, uh, while it does insert some humor um, in, in such like ridiculous, I mean, it's just Spielberg jacking off all over the screen. I mean, you can just see him, like the whole scene with the remote control back and forth. That's yep. such a Spielberg moment. Um but yeah, it, it, despite his like uh, obvious, which man, signatures. remember when that was a thing? Like your remote control could interfere. We used to do this. Uh, here's something you should ask your aunt about because uh, so Tim and I just realized his aunt lived two doors down from me when I was growing up. So Tim and I actually <laughs> may have met way sooner than we than we thought. Yeah, but something we used to do in our neighborhood was because all the cable boxes at the time were from this company called Tocom. Yeah. So we would go Tocoming, where you run around the neighborhood and you'd go up to like someone's sliding door while they're watching TV and change their channels. So ask your aunt uh, if while she was watching TV, the channels would ever suddenly change. Because some people would attribute that to maybe ghosts in their home, but it's just some randy kids outside with remotes that work on every single box like there were no unique uh signals at the time <laughs> so you could take your one remote control every television in the in the area now that the remotes were not as powerful as the ones in poltergeist because jesus these like i can't use my phone in a building yet these 1982 remotes were able to like permeate two walls and a yard yeah yeah it's a little bit of a convenient device there <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, speaking of controllers, I remember um, I, I I remember that actual cable box that Tocom, and um, <laughs> there was the one that like the second generation one that had the two buttons that you could like rapidly toggle back <laughs> yes. and forth, 
And I was kind of on a Facebook thread about that. And I was just, you know, somebody uh, mentioned that they thought that that sounded a little sexual, you know, the rapid toggling. And uh, and then I just wrote, uh, you're toggling me so rapidly. I'm about to come. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's oh, that. Man. Enjoy that. <laughs> Enjoy that audience. Um, so anyhow, <laughs> back to family. <laughs> Um, because that's what it's all about here. Uh, I, I'll tell you when you and I were watching this together, there were probably, oh man, a minimum of three times that I had to like tense up every muscle in my body because I, I mean, not that you haven't seen me cry before, Lord knows we've been on stage enough together, but I had to really stop myself from like getting really choked up watching this movie, which was a really oh, new I openly cried. I didn't make a big well, deal good. about it, but yeah, I let the tears. Well, you're one yeah. very particular moment where even I knew it was coming, but man, Joe Beth, I'm just going to say Joe Beth Williams amazing in this movie. Should have got a nominee. She got nominated for a Saturn Award, sure, fine. Uh, some a little more prestigious for this performance, please. Yes. So so much so when deserved. She Carol Ann go through her. Even though I think that's all bullshit hooey. Mm. Yeah. Man, that hits you real good. Oh, I wrote, I wrote that line down. I, I, yeah, I've got it in the notes, which I haven't even glanced at. It's so that easy to talk about this movie. Eyes, like I'm like, in, I'm like, oh, wow. How did they get the actual spirit of the child to go through her? Because <laughs> I believe that happened. <laughs> you know, there, the, the goddamn chemistry is so good. I, as I was thinking about this movie a couple days ago, I'm like, did they just get these people to live as a family for like a year before right. they started filming? Because it, you're right. Her performance in particular is so connected um, and, and just so heartfelt that I, I think that you can't overstate what an accomplishment it is to make a movie that someone can watch as a child and have it register with them a hundred percent. I mean, it's hitting, you're feeling it, it's amazing, and you're experiencing it as a child a hut to the hilt, every level of experience that you can have watching a movie. And then to have the same exact movie hit completely different as a parent, especially a parent, oh, as an yeah. adult and a parent, to where you're experiencing it at that highest level, but yet differently than you did as a child. That's, a, that's an amazing feat. Yeah. To, to make a movie like that. And I did. I were sitting there in the in your garage. We're watching it. And I was just so affected by the the family aspect of it. And um, I think that that's kind of like a lot of movies at that time that were that were being made that way, because you got the boomer generation kind of setting down the torches and the pitchforks <laughs> and, you know, having to get to real life. Yeah. And um, so there were a lot of movies at that time about, you know, people sort of finding their way and becoming adults. But that's what's so cute about this movie is that we get that great bedroom scene between Craig T. Nelson and uh, Joe Beth Williams where they're yeah. getting a little high. Yeah, a nice, um, you know, relaxed portrayal of adults enjoying cannabis in the privacy of their own home. Well, and you see what happens. <laughs> that's what happens. You can't get sucked into the closet. When you do pot, you, you get did. sucked through your ceiling and the covered trees in ectoplasm. Try to eat you. That's nature getting back at you. 
Yeah, but, but it's yeah, first it, we should mention Craig T. Nelson does not know how to roll a joint. At no, all. Like, no. He knows how to spread cannabis all over your like you know, bed sheets. Yeah, that, yeah, he messes up a joint and just leaves this pile of weed as it just goes back to reading a book. Like Yeah. Yeah, and then he just hands it to her, kind of like you do this. Yeah. You know, it's a woman's job. You roll the joints. But it, it kind of feels it that like way. She, like hers are pretty thin. Like she's got to suck. I, I don't know if that like was a pinner, at the yeah. time, like, we got to make it real obvious what you're doing. But, man, her inhales are like. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> don't don't pass up. out again. No, that's on exhale. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> inhale, I'm okay. Um, no, you're right. Like, <laughs> I th- exhales and you make know, me pass out. But isn't that kind of funny? Like. <laughs> It just it's seems such a so gr- Cheech and Chong. Like, it's such a... Anyway, honey! Right. Kind of like, this is obviously not a cigarette. Like, we get it. We we know that it's not a cigarette. It's fine. Um, but what a weird what a weird little scene to throw into a family movie. Well, yeah. You know, first a of all... A PG movie. Yeah. And that's the other thing. There, How many other PG movies do you know where a man rips his face off? Right. And I mean, in great detail, and it's it takes a while too. like he gets a little bit of the face off and then he gets the whole face off. Yeah. And it's PG. like I'm not a big fan of ratings and censoring and things like that. But I don't know if we're going to have them. I do like that. They came up with a middle of the road rating. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like, hey, you're either like uh, six and can watch this or you're 18 and can watch this. Anything in between is fine. Yeah, I know. I you and I mentioned this. There are definitely uh, some scenes in this movie that, if you do watch it as a younger viewer, which we did, um, I mean, they'll stick with you. The, the The face thing freaked me out for sure. I had a really hard time with the maggots uh, on the chicken, mm-hmm. like that, that, and the steak. The food stuff kind of freaked me out a little. Yeah. Like it grossed me out because I was such a picky eater at that time. Anyway. Sure. Um, so, you know, you, I, I guess a face getting ripped off is, is more, you know, traumatic than a, a steak sliding across the counter. But yeah. for me, it, it was the, the face st- rip looked fake, though. Those were real maggots on that chicken. Like, yeah, they just got some maggots and dumped them onto a chicken wing. Oh, and before I forget, speaking of, of bones, um, th- those were real skeletons. OK. Y- yeah. Mm. OK, because you, you had that nugget when we were watching it. And you're like, I think in this movie they used real skeletons in the pool scene. And they did. And you know why they used them? They're cheaper for a laugh. <laughs> They're cheaper. Cheaper. Oh, God. A human skeleton is cheaper than the than the really good quality. That's just fake ones. can't be good to be in water with real cadavers like that well and electricity like there's fucking wires everywhere in fact joe beth williams didn't even want to do that she was really nervous about that pole scene yeah and spielberg was like how about this i'll i'll get in there with you so that if you know because you die i'll die yeah yeah and she was like well okay so uh but yeah um definitely some things that that stick with you and i think that that was one thing that we both noticed is that uh yeah this movie in its own way is is terrifying and uh and there are some scenes that are not just gross but are genuinely kind of they got good freak out potential yeah. i mean yeah this is a movie my cousin told me about when i was a child and could not sleep that night the thing that did it was the tree cuz at that point you're in your bed 
I didn't have a clown in my room, but I did have a tree outside my window. And I'm like, ah, this is how I die. This tree is going to pull me from my room. Uh, which is funny because my brother used to have a fear of a deer jumping in our window, which I was like, that's ridiculous. This tree, though, this tree is going to get me. <laughs> you know what, though? You can outrun a tree pretty easy. I <laughs> yeah, mean, they're, they're slow. Stuck. They're slow. Um, deer. Now, now I'm now I'm worried about a deer jumping through my window. <laughs> that's a legit concern. Uh, damn it. Um, but yeah, no, there's some genuine, uh, freak out moments. And, um, but what's so great about it is, is that like everybody mentions when they talk about this movie, it's, it's the setting that's suburban setting. So it's, it's supposed to be safe. It looks boring. It looks kind of cookie cutter. Actually, yeah. I, I think it All looks kind of beautiful, but yeah. Um, I mean, but it I is mean, cookie cutter. All the houses are the exactly the same. Right. This was the start of that modular, home building and it's just like every house is the same so you can take someone into one house and be like this is what yours will look like you won't get this one but it'll be it's the same thing right right which i hate but i understand the need for it at you know your cost on design goes way down right true (laughs) true um, but no, it's, it's, it's a bummer. What's so great though, is that, and they, they filmed it in Simi Valley, uh, California, but they did, of course they had to do the interiors at, uh, MGM studios because there's, I mean, there's just so many effects that there's no way that you could shoot interiors in yeah. the house. But, um, but they, uh, they film all those interiors in the house and the, the inside of that house on the set that they created is so, we, we already talked about the staircase, crazy ass staircase but there's i mean it's carpet everywhere it's cozy mm-hmm. like it feels just very very comfortable and i there's something to that that i think amplifies the terror i'll give you an example or i'll, I'll an explanation here if you're watching a ghost story and it's in like a dilapidated house that is just beyond repair and it's falling apart and it's it's just there's holes in the walls and yada yada and then crazy things start happening. Well, there's already a distance between you and that because we don't live like that. You know, we don't live right. in abandoned buildings. We do live in houses like this, you know, that look like this, that feel like this. So when all of these things are happening to this poor family. That's why I pulled all the carpet up from my home. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then just put it on this uh, cat stand that I see here. That's where it all went. <laughs> this giant six foot cat stand. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got, we should, you know, we should take some pictures or video sometimes so people can see what we do. I we'll mean, get a TikTok, we'll put some TikTok videos up right here. That's a hot way to do it. We're in a, uh, we're in a, uh, a 20 by 20 room with, uh, we've got some marble, uh, sculptures <laughs> and everything is stainless steel. Uh, there's fountains and, uh, jungle cats. It's a very nice studio. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, but yeah, there's uh, I want to give the people a feel for the for the action. Um, so, yeah, so that that's what makes it so compelling is that that uh, that feeling of it being home and these things happening in the home. Um, I don't know about you, but kind of like the exact opposite of what you were describing with that uh, stir crazy syndrome. When this movie really puts its foot on the gas. It's it's just like a white knuckle viewing experience. I yeah. mean, it, it really the pacing. I know I talk about that a lot, but it's just nonstop. But what's so funny is, 
is that the movie, again, this is the, the storytelling uh, craftsmanship. We get the fun stuff in the beginning. You know, when we get the, the chairs on the table, we get Carol Ann sliding across the floor. It's not scary. No. But it's super fun to watch, and it's yeah. interesting. And then on top- How excited Joe Beth Williams is. is so <laughs> yeah. It's so endearing. Yeah, she's and she's got that. She's got a really strong short shorts uh, Nikes game. Yes, like her. She's just yeah. She's got a look. Um, but we get all that fun stuff, and then, um, like we needed any more. What really, I think I'm trying to think if there were any other movies before this that used it to such great effect. But I think the use of the para psychologists and the uh, the paranormal scientists in this is is priceless yeah because it makes a precursor to ghostbusters yeah i mean was this i mean a little of this had to i know they were probably already working on Ghostbusters. i know they were already working on ghostbusters but right man what a weird like hey we were gonna be college professors (laughs) who were parapsychologists well yeah and because even if you look at like um uh amityville horror uh which came out about three years before this i think um there's it's all, you know, tied to the church and religion. Yeah. So this was the first time, certainly when I saw it, that I had ever seen people with equipment yeah. and they're using the academic terms. approach. Yes. And it like it's one of those things that I've talked about before where it makes you feel smarter. Like when you're seeing this stuff and you're like, oh, that's really fascinating. That what an interesting job that would be. Yeah. And then as you start to see what they do and you hear them talk, even though it's fictitious. Um, it makes you feel smarter <laughs> to, right. to know about that stuff. Um, so, uh, so that really brings this, it really kicks the interest fact or a factor up because we get the fun in the beginning, the parapsychologists come in, you know, then we start to really get interested. And then that's when the, the pedal hits the floor and we just start going terror style. Yeah. And that's where we, you and I kind of noticed, and it, I guess it makes perfect sense. That's where you feel a little bit more of Toby Hooper coming in. And when when things really there's like a 10 minute sequence that is just nonstop. Yeah. And it, that feels like him. It yeah. doesn't feel like Spielberg. But yeah. The the, you know, Dr. Lesh talking with Joe Beth Williams. That feels like Spielberg. Did oh, that yes. Stuff. Yeah. Just how it's framed, how it's delivered. I don't know. Like Toby Hooper is probably like, I don't want to do this part. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and she's I like that character a lot that um she kind of speaks in that sort of mid-Atlantic like affected accent. Actually, I, I looked up that actress. She did live in England for a while, so oh, really? um they went to school there. So Beatrice Strait. Yes. Her name. And um and she had kind of a lofty upbringing, so I mean, I that that accent might be somewhat natural. Um but uh yeah, she brings a lot of credibility uh to the movie, like you, you, you start to feel, like I said, you start to feel very, very interested in figuring out exactly what's happening. So that brings us to what is exactly happening <laughs> in this movie. Oh yeah. So there, it's not un unknown that uh, there's a belief that spirits travel more easily through uh, electronics. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think know. we can all agree on that. 
And it's it's actually it's a legit thing. Like well, people that do believe uh, think that that um, the the whatever about the radio waves or whatever it is that the, somehow that eases the transmissions. Right. I mean, those are two different things: electricity and radio waves. Oh, but true. Let's keep going. True, true. <laughs> and um, so they, you've got that element that that kind of sucks you in a little bit, and um, and that's how it starts. But then we kind of. As the movie progresses, we understand that the reason why these people are specifically or these spirits are specifically targeting this family is because of Carol Ann's, quote unquote, life force or her connectivity. Yeah. Um, she's because like a she conduit was born in the house. Yes. Like literally born in within the walls. Yes. Of the home. And as we all know, the home sits on a cemetery. So we've got a few different ingredients here as to why. But this it is should all be happening. pointed out. They only moved the headstones. They didn't move the bodies. They only moved the headstones. If only someone had clearly said that in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe even just like brought their voice up a little bit, like yelled it, you know, like right. so we really hear it. Um but yeah, so you've got that going on. But then what I was talking to you uh, about earlier, like there's the introduction of this character of the beast. Now, I read somewhere that the the beast is supposed to be this malevolent spirit that is trapping these lost souls that are obviously from this cemetery um and not letting them pass into the light yeah and that he's using the the uh zelda reference what's her real name in this movie my god tangina sorry yeah she yeah she makes a reference like he's like tricking them and keeping them from going right 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 and and he's kind of using carol ann because she's kind of powerful enough to help him keep doing that okay but he's presenting like she just sees it as another child. Do you think that that one, um, that like kind of spindly bony thing, is that supposed to be the beast? I guess so. But yeah, I don't know because a different skull comes, like skull face comes out of the closet. So I guess it can take whatever form it wants. Yeah, yeah to. that's true. Yeah, it knows what scares you most, so it's like going to do that maybe it's just like oh i know what's really gonna scare joe beth williams right now yes a big muppet (laughs) muppet monster (laughs) that is kind of what it looks like yeah um but it is a good scary muppet monster and speaking of scary things of course the one thing that this movie actually the way that this movie ruined a lot of lives (laughs) is through the use of a clown yeah and you know what's funny um i know that that it kind of started people down that path of clown fear. But it seems like just in the past couple of years that people have been more vocal about like, fuck clowns. Yeah. Like I think it was, remember there was that sort of like weird kind of summer where people were just dressing as clowns standing in the woods. And were they really, was that happening or was that just more of a, well, okay. So here's the thing. I did see a documentary about that. And there was a dude who had a service where he would come and scare your kids. Like you could like threaten them with like, hey, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. And then, yeah, he'd put on this creepy clown costume and go 
stand in like your yard. So wow. So I don't know if it's just like urban shit based on that. I don't remember the end of the documentary. I feel like now that I'm saying it out loud that it turns out that was also a hoax. But no, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Well, yeah, there was. But I mean, even more than that, there was like this whole that summer. There was like stories of like people dressing as clowns and going up and down people's streets and terrorizing them, like yeah. beating them up or killing them. Or No, whatever. I don't think there's any violence. They were just being creepy. Yeah. Well, they're being creepy this in this movie, too. This cat out of here. <laughs> um, you just put it over by that marble sculpture. Uh, <laughs> but uh, th- th- um, th- so this clown. OK, I had I had a clown like this. It's uh, it was full size. Um, I guess I liked it. I liked it less after I saw this movie. <laughs> Uh, naturally, my own clown. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was bigger than I was. Um, so these were a toy. I mean, these were things that kids had in addition to apparently everything else in their bedroom being Star Wars, because, my God, Star Wars <laughs> threw up all over this Jeez, kid's bedroom. Yeah, that kid's into it. <laughs> um, but pretty true to life because we all were. Uh, but yeah, this, yeah, this, that is funny. Cause yeah, I was like, Oh geez, of course here's Steven Spielberg props to his friend. And I was like, Oh, but yes, also, uh, it consumed my life as a child. So yes, this <laughs> right. actually is a very accurate representation of yes. an eight year old's bedroom. <laughs> um, so it, it, the clown itself, its face really is pretty spooky. And naturally with the way that they film it with these kind of like, it advances like they they it'll cut away and then it's closer to the clown yeah. and cut away and it's even closer now with the lightning and everything um yeah it is pretty terrifying and that's just it's one of those villains if, if we want to call the clown that it's one of those villains that not only are you afraid of but it's like it's not even playing fair you get mad at the clown right like fuck you <laughs> like the, the, you are so terrifying and you're so menacing that it just, I don't know, you get angry at that thing. Yeah, and it's strong. Yeah. Pulls the kid under the bed. I do like the kid just then rips it apart. <laughs> I hate you. Just tearing its guts out. <laughs> when all that kid really had to do was just bite that clown because, my God, that kid's got a set of choppers. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> yeah, so this is the kid. Uh, what was his name? Um, it's uh, Oliver Robbins. This is the kid that we, uh, in our Leprechaun episode, were like, this kid never ages. Because the kid in Leprechaun looks like this kid. Yeah. But this is the kid. He was in Airplane. He was in this. And yeah, he's got some, you know, buck teeth, which kids have. That's fine. But man, yeah, after Carol Ann's initial disappearance, and he hears her in the TV, and he's like, Mom, come listen. And there's just this close-up. Of their faces silhouetted with the TV static behind them, and man, that kid's teeth! Like, yeah, what an unfortunate profile silhouette those provide. It's just, it's hard not to comment on it when you watch it. It's hard not to just go, "Whoa!" Yeah, dental science has helped a great many people, <laughs> and I hope it found its way to him. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, okay, the teeth are there. If, if we see it from the front. We're okay. Yeah, kind of cute. But I don't. I mean, you you think somebody would have caught that? Yeah, because they're was... at like such an like pronounced angle too. Yeah. Like I didn't even realize they were that bad. Yeah, they are at a as the um, the Spanish would say uh, "casta," which means slope, <laughs> as in "casta verde." 
which is the name of the subdivision, uh, which means green slope. Green slope. Yeah. yeah. So uh, even though they're in a valley. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The slope is up higher. Right. It's over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So and I want to talk a little bit, too, about uh, because, I mean, we could go on and on. And I am. We did when we were watching the movie about Joe Beth Williams. And she's you can't say enough about her. But I really like Craig T. Nelson in this. He yeah. is such a dad. I mean, he's he's got that perfect combination of like, you know, he he's still wanting to hang on to a little bit of that youth, but he's goofy. Just yeah. the way dads are goofy. Yeah. You know? And um, but they props to the goddamn makeup department because they do an excellent job of just zapping the life out of that man's yeah. face. They they really bring his his color down, really pale him out. They dress him in these sweaters, like he looks like a man who hasn't slept in two weeks, whose daughter got pulled into the television. <laughs> he looks exactly like a man that is experiencing that. Yeah, and uh, but he plays it with um with a nice intensity. And man, I just love him in that scene when um when Tangina is trying to get him to be angry with Carol Ann yeah. and that he has to threaten to spank her, you know, and you can just see him, you know, talking to her. Like when he actually says like, I've never hit the kids a day in my life. And, uh, and he's so, I've never angry. spanked the children. Right. My dad was like, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. As my parents were watching it, they probably just reminded him like they just, my yeah. dad. Oh just yeah. Starts, you're due. Yeah. They just start pulling the belt <laughs> off. Like, yeah, that reminds me. <laughs> no, but um, but he's you just see that frustration of like, I'm 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 following what you're telling me to do because it's what you apparently needs to be done to help my daughter. But you're forcing me to be angry with her when all I want to do is get her back home. Right. Which is the last thing you would want yeah, to do. Lie to, you know, lie to your child. Yeah. And and threaten them. And because you're, you're trying to get them back and somebody is telling you to yell at and scold your child. And yeah. it's you see all of that happening in his face. Um, and he, he plays that very, very well. And like you mentioned, um, Joe Beth Williams. I mean, my God, like her her reactions to having to communicate with Carol Ann, which it's very, very vague. Really, only in that one anecdote about her sleepwalking, you get some sort of sense that maybe Diane, the the mother's character, um, maybe has a little bit of uh, juju herself, yeah, you know, or some connectivity to to the spirit world. Um, and Carol Ann has a lot of it, but um, but yeah, her her reactions. Um, and and I wrote down. I was I was so happy when you mentioned that moment of when she says she went right through me. Because uh, I, I literally wrote it down because it's so affecting. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I'll get all choked <laughs> up. But they do a great job. Here's one one weird thing. We're talking a little bit about the older eldest daughter, eldest child, uh, being sort of extractable from the movie. Yeah. There's like that nice little fun scene where dad is telling her to get off the phone. Oh, you yeah. know. So we got that. Then there. There is like. Get off the phone, utter, Dana. <laughs> but there is an utter absence of like Joe Beth Williams character interacting with her. I mean, there's that uh, little yeah, there's breakfast scene, breakfast scene, but 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 not she's more much. interacting with the the Dana's more with the kids. Yeah, and it's uh, it just kind of makes you wonder, like, 
Why she's even... stoned. What do you know about being oh, yeah. stoned? <laughs> More than you, ask dad. That, that's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> yeah. Like Carol Andy, ask dad. Like what a little <laughs> kid thing to do. Like I'm just going to copy yeah. what my older siblings are doing. <laughs> I have no idea what the context of what they're saying is. Yeah, it's adorable. It's adorable. Um, but yeah, that's, um, you know, it doesn't really bother me that um, that she's there. I, I don't really know why Spielberg would have felt the need to insert that character, but um, but it's fine. And, you know, what's what's kind of nice about it is that there is the reality of, you know, sending the kids off, you know, like, um, you know, you wouldn't if, if terrible things are happening in a house, you're not going to be like, hey, Let's keep everybody here. Although you noticed that after, because this is this movie so great where it gives you two endings. Yeah. Two, two endings that are strong enough to be endings and you get two of them. Yep. Um, But after that first one, they still stay in the house. Like you said, and and I like they're moving. They're like loading a moving truck, but still like, but we'll stay here tonight if we need to. Yeah. And everyone seems super relaxed and chill about it. Yeah, kind of like, um, like you know, what else could happen? You know, haven't, <laughs> right. haven't we been through the worst of it? Um, I mean, this one person said this house is clean, so it must be. Never yeah. trust your psychics, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's what this movie's true message is. Yeah, she kind of, that's a bit of a ripoff, isn't it? Like, yeah. here's this expert that is supposed to know everything about this stuff, and she very clearly says the house is clean yeah. and declares it as such and couldn't be more wrong. No. In um, fact, it's gotten much worse. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and that's where we get, um, you know, as the things are really, really progressing, we get some really neat effects with the... Uh, I had kind of forgotten about like the coffins like popping out of the ground. That's yeah. really cool. Um, we get that whole swimming pool scene, uh, which is terrifying because I think, you know, because the swimming pool isn't finished, it's just a, essentially a giant muddy hole in the ground. There's so much texture going on between rain and the mud and the water. You can feel you can, you can you're right there in the water with yep. her. You can feel you can like putting your hand down, like looking for something hard, but it's just slippy, yeah. uh, slippery and, and muddy. And it's, yeah. And it's, and it's an incline. So you can't get out of it. Just yeah. Gravity's working against you. And um, yeah. And it's just like you're you're right there with her when she says, God, how does she say it with uh, when they're looking first looking for Carol Ann? Oh, yeah, where she's just like, oh, my. Because she'd already, that was one of her bits. A, she played stoned very accurately. Yeah. Like, was able to have a coherent conversation, but then would tangent and just be like, oh, my God, what if, like, Carol Ann sleepwalks into the pool? Right. Like, while we're all sleeping. So uh, she's immediately like that when they can't find Carol Ann, she's like, fuck, of course, my worst fear, she's in the pool. Yeah, and I think she says it twice. She's like, yeah, the she's swimming like, oh pool. Oh, my God, the swimming pool. The swimming the pool. Swimming pool. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's so great. And, you know, you can you can in those moments. I where should she's... point out, Joe Beth Williams does not sound like Adam Sandler doing a, <laughs> a woman's voice, but it's the only way I know how to do it. You know, speaking of her voice in that moment, um, that's where you can hear the the Houston accent that she worked so hard to get rid of. Um, and it's really only in those moments where she's really like exacerbate or not just uh, like um, she's just exclaiming and, and under duress. You can start to pick up a little bit of that southern accent. But she actually 
when she moved to New York, um, like very, very specifically went to a voice coach to kind of erase that yeah. uh, Texas accent. But um, but it comes out every now and then and it's kind of endearing. Um, but yeah, her, I think, you know, for all the nice things we've said about her, I think her terror in the movie instru- instructs us like it, it, we follow her lead because she's so compelling that, you know, when she is terrified, we're terrified. Then she sells it so beautifully. And when she feels like Carol Ann went through her, we feel that too. She's just like you said, how in the hell were there not more movies made with Joe Beth Williams? Right. She should have been in everything. Yeah. I really liked her in this movie. I like her. I don't know. Maybe she's a pain in the ass to work with. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I I don't know. Something um, about women getting older in Hollywood. Sure, had nothing to do with it. <laughs> right. Um, well, speaking of... Like, sorry, if you're playing a mom as one of your first roles, sorry. <laughs> right. We don't have much for you. Well, th- there was one movie that she was in before this. I don't know. I don't think it was Stir Crazy, but uh, where she ran down a hall naked. Oh. You can see that. Well, I'll have to rent if you want. Um, <laughs> So... Yeah, she'll do anything. Because she has, uh, and I don't know if this, if I liked this before or if this is what triggered it, but a, a woman in a like football jersey, I don't know of what, or a baseball jersey, I get like a, a, a recreational softball shirt, the, the three quarter sleeve, mm-hmm. those I like, but for some reason, football jersey just does it for me. I'm not a football fan. I don't care about football, <laughs> just that look. Yeah, and she's kind of, it's kind of that, uh, it's like a nightshirt, so it's sort of big, so it just barely covers everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is it is a definite look, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Um, Thanks, Joe Bev. Speaking of not favorites, we got to talk a little bit about what the critics said about this movie. Oh, Timmy! I've got a quote for you. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Because it's been a while. Since we've been able to dig up a review from our favorite horror fan, Gene Siskel. Oh, my God. (laughs) That fucking guy. And thank God they did review this movie back in 1982. Now, yeah, Ebert kind of like, he was like, yeah, fine. It's fine. Here's, uh, Here's what Siskel said about this film. I want your reaction. I feel so bad about this picture. I think I'm starting to like Rocky 3 a little bit more. I thought this film wasn't scary except for one door closing. Then all this mumbo jumbo about spectral light afterlife. I think it's too strong for young people, but I don't think they should even bother with it. (laughs) Fuck you, Siskel. See, now, if this movie had been directed by Steven Spielberg, if it had been like this, here's a movie directed by Steven Spielberg. Would they have would he have treated it so harshly? Mm. Or would he have been like mm, rare miss by Steven Spielberg? Well, I don't know because it, he would have been he would have had a really hard time restraining himself because Gene Siskel is apparently the champion of children everywhere, and he will, does not like anything that has to do with children in peril. Which oh, I'm sorry, it's not a fucking perfect world, Gene Siskel. Right. Sometimes kids have it rough and they go through shit, um, like the TV or the closet, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, or a he tree. yeah, <laughs> but um, he also hates horror in general. So this movie had two strikes against it. 
He went on to say, because I, I saw that clip that, that that's from. <laughs> oh, man, it just gets my blood boiling. He said, I don't understand what happened in this movie. Nobody that I've talked to understands what's going on in this movie. And I'm like, why? Well, he just meant like, what's going on in the closet? Which okay. you did say. You were like, okay, I wasn't real sure, but here it is. Here's the beast. And here's yeah. all that stuff. Uh, yeah. So I guess I needed to so cr- have to do a little. But was that like. Does the movie not make sense because of that? No, absolutely not. You're just like, I don't know. It's fucking ghosts. Who knows anything about ghosts? But the yeah, but the the way that he makes his point makes it sound like what he watched was just random images put together by like a schizophrenic. Like, no, it's it's not that hard. It's a fucking family with ghosts in the house, you know. Yeah. Um. But oh yeah, he just set out to hate it. Um. He famously hates part two even more well part two sucks it's not great oh it's not great I, there are parts of it that i like um a lot but uh but the yeah your is... guy is very creepy if they had not gotten that guy yeah that movie would not have been tolerable at all yeah that's it's a pretty steep drop off i'm sure there. you like it it's got a lot of you know they bring in a lot, a lot of, of native, native american stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah um but even that feels wasted yeah yeah the and and it's kind of like the backstory that they give where it's just sort of this like uh, maniacal kind of cult like preacher, like it yeah. feels a little thin, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, yeah. And then, uh, like you mentioned, the remake, I had graciously Sam uh, Rockwell on that. I think so. That one, yeah. And I had graciously for, for my own mind forgotten that they remade the movie. Um, I heard that it's awful. I've heard that the remake is, is terrible. Yeah. I feel um, like I started it once and just was like. Yeah, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, it, it certainly did not need to be remade. Although I am, I uh, kind of along those lines. However, I'm really glad that we're doing this particular episode about this movie because, um, whereas there are movies like uh, like Jaws, you know, that that are continually referenced in pop culture. It's not to say that people don't say, you know, they're here anymore. Right. But if we're really being honest with ourselves, I think this movie is getting forgotten pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, I just don't I don't hear it referenced very often. Yeah. I don't for, for what it deserves, I guess, is what I'm saying. I think we you know, we got done watching this and I had seen it. I don't know. I mean, it's 40 years old now, Tim. God, is it really that old? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's an old movie. Holy moly. Dude, we were just watching, uh, <sighs> I hate to say this, but I'm watching the Twilight series. Boom! And we watched, uh, we just watched Breaking Dawn Part 1, and I, and that fucking movie is 10 years old. I was like, wait, this? Part 4 in this series is 10 years old? And I was just like, we're going to die so soon. <laughs> like, time <laughs> means nothing anymore. I like that you're spending your golden years watching the Twilight oh, franchise. Man. That's that's what I it's hear, all led up I to. I hear this. the fifth one is because man, the fourth one is so dumb and bad. Uh, I hear two I enjoyed. Yeah, New Moon was good, and I hear five is bonkers, and I'm looking forward to it. But man, the rest have just not been very good. You, well, you know, you know me. I'm like you know. 75 percent teenage girl and so i i love those movies I, I read all the books i watched all the movies and i know that they're not great but i just you know you fall in love with yeah, the characters a man can dream you fall in love with the characters the same way you fell in love with them when you saw buffy the vampire slayer 
the movie, right? Not the show <laughs> or any of it. Yeah, that uh, what's her name stole from. But uh, but it's okay. I mean, I I like they're they're fun. They're fun. Um, I actually really like the first Twilight. the The first movie has this weird sort of like almost like a amateur feel to it. Yeah. But, but kind of like in a really endearing, like somebody made it for like a college project or something. It feels like, like a teenage girl made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I love it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, a teenage girl did not make this movie, uh, nor did Toby Hooper, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it is great. And I, when I guess what I was really excited about was, you know, we thought about doing this movie we thought about, you know, we're trying to think of the quintessential American horror films. And uh, and it was so funny because we had both forgotten that the movie literally freaking opens with the American anthem. Yeah. Uh, the national anthem. And um, so but but even having seen it for I don't know, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate. Maybe I've seen the movie before this, maybe, I don't know, eight, ten times, I guess. I mean, a, a lot. Um, but watching it again, I was really taken aback at how good it is i mean yeah. it's it's so so good if anybody's that listening- is a funny bit at the beginning because they yeah they play the national anthem and it's i had to explain to my kid i'm like oh yeah um back in the day like channels would just stop like they were out <laughs> of stuff and it's probably the first time where i'm trying where i try to explain an older tech to my kid where she was like because anytime she's like sure i understand that yeah that's fine but this was like I'm sorry, what? Like yeah. to not have constant content. Right. I'm like, and there were three channels. So four if depending on the year. Five depending on your area. And isn't that isn't that funny about that though? It's actually a great thing to open a horror movie with because it was kind of creepy, wasn't it? Oh, when the yeah. when a when a channel went off the air. Yeah. And it kind of felt like you, you all of a sudden felt way vulnerable. Like, wait, where are you going? Where you, don't go, don't go. Right. You know? Am I like I'm up too late? Like even the TV is like yeah, not, the, is done. Yeah. The world is sort of stopped, you know, and it, it well, yeah, it kind of felt um a little less comforting and, and protected yeah. when the, when those channels and it was off. only for a couple hours yeah it was like from three back. to five right <laughs> um and i think that there are well maybe not anymore i thought that maybe like if you go like super local there's still some channels that sign off for the day probably I, but uh but yeah it was all of them at that time you're right but yeah it's it is its own little brand of creepy there um but yeah, I, I I would suggest to people that even if you have seen this movie, even if you're listening to this episode and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And and it all seems so vivid to you. I, I would still highly suggest that you watch it again. I mean, what a great repeat viewing. It is kind of crazy, like you, it, how early Carol Ann is then missing from the entire movie. Like, yeah, for, for a character who's so prominent and who you essentially think of when you think of these movies. Like in that first movie, she is gone for half of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of that was the other thing, too. Like, I kept thinking, like, that I was missing scenes, you know, like, did I? Yeah. At one point you were like, did I did we see the clown part already? I'm like, no, this movie is another ending. (laughs) Yeah. And I had totally forgotten about that. Um, Yeah. What an what an awesome bonus there. And oh, speaking of awesome bonus, I, I would be you know, I would just kick myself if I didn't mention a nice uh small but but 
perfectly played appearance by one of my favorites, James Karen from Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. Uh, you'll recognize him as uh, Frank and uh, from from that movie. One of my favorites. And uh, he plays kind of like the brother in arms with the mayor from Jaws, the, the kind of like smarmy, you know, trying to be likable to everybody, sort of a politician type. Um, but uh, yeah, he plays the the realtor the or the at the head of the uh, development company, and he's he seems like such a nice guy, but he's also a little scheming. Yeah, quite a bit scheming. He actually, treats his employees well, but yeah. uh, he has no respect for the dead. No, no, he doesn't. Um, but yeah, that's a, a nice little appearance there. Um, and then yeah, just real quick, because as we yelled earlier, that is the issue. They built the homes on top of a graveyard, moved the headstones, but not the bodies because they're just decomposing organisms that doesn't, you know. But as we know for fact now, there are ghosts tied to those bodies. Yeah, people have no problem composting the shit out of whatever garbage comes out of their house. Right. But that's such an issue. I was saying because the bur- their, their uh, canary dies in the beginning. And I was like, that would have been actually pretty great if this movie was... <laughs> When they dig up the bird to put in the swimming pool, like now the bird spirit is angry. And that's really what all the poltergeist are, are the angry bird for being disturbed from its uh, eternal slumber. And there are some very, very powerful bird spirits and like uh, specifically like uh, Mexican uh, lore, but they're not canaries. (laughs) No. (laughs) So that would have been great. Um, Just real quick uh, before we, we completely wrap up here. Um, because uh, I know that some people might say, well, I can't. hold on, before you do that, if we're talking about our favorite bit characters, in oh, this, yeah. I got to talk about their neighbor, Ben. Oh, yes. Ben Todd Hill, who uh, only ha- he has got two or three scenes. There's the little remote quipping between them. Uh, but my favorite scene is once they kind of once uh, they the Freelings notice there's something going on in their house. They go to ask the neighbors and he's a he's just standing there. Eating a plate of beans. I commented, does everyone eat beans in this movie? Because uh, I mentioned at the top of this, there is a guy working on the pool. He just leans into their kitchen window to eat the beans she's making on the stove at 10 in the morning. I don't really understand why or what she's cooking at this point. But so, yeah, Ben said standing there eating a plate of beans and they like start getting eaten by mosquitoes. And he's just like, yeah, they never bothered me. In fact, uh, I don't think anyone in my family has ever been bitten by one. And then this weird kid is standing there. He's just like, mosquito ever suck on you, son? I don't know, dad. (laughs) He doesn't know. (laughs) It's like the craziest (laughs) exchange. It's so weird. And he just seems so nonplussed while he's doing it. And it's just, it's such a weird scene. And then they come to help, but they don't really help at the end. I think you just you like uh, like watching somebody else have to talk to their neighbor so that you don't have to do it. <laughs> right. You know, like I get how awkward that is. Yeah. It's like, why are you being weird? I'm I'm just all right. I'll leave. <laughs> it's like neighbor porn for you. Well, actually, they do make neighbor porn, but uh, yeah, no, that's it's a hilarious scene, and it's it's one of those great examples of like we don't need that scene, but we get that scene, and it's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> and um and yeah, what's so funny is that um. Uh, Steve and Diane are like so uh, just uncomfortable and yeah and kind of like a lot of nervous laughter and stuff just they don't know how to be like so we can slide across our kitchen floor can you do that (laughs) right right 
Oh, it's so great. Um, but yeah, there, uh, uh, there is a little bit of a thing associated with this movie that some people refer to as a curse. Um, <laughs> there were some unfortunate events that, that happened. Um, Dominique Dunn, who plays Dana, the, the eldest child, um, was strangled in her driveway by her former boyfriend. Yeah. Um, like so four months after this came yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's. That's just awful. Uh, sister of uh, Griffin Dunn, actor Griffin Dunn. Um, and oh, then, oh, okay, yeah, I can see that in the face. Then, and then um, Heather O'Rourke uh, got some strange combination of some intestinal, uh, like kind of collapse yeah. and blockage, and uh, ended up dying from it. And and uh, you know, it was you know, she was starting to get sick when they were making the last one. Um, with her and, uh, you know, she, you could tell she was on some, um, some steroids. It was kind of puffing her face a little bit and yeah. you could kind of see something was a little off there. Um, but yeah, unfortunately she passed away. Such a great little kid. Let I mean, me ask you, Tim, do you think these films are cursed or are those just coincidences that happened? Ooh, you know, <laughs> You know, that's that for me being as as uh, dialed into the spectral world as I am. Sure. I um, I don't I don't really feel that way about it. I think, mm. you know, when you've got a production of thousands of people, some bad things are going to happen to some of them just for if you're playing the numbers. Sure. Um, so and, but and, for your leads to die. Like almost one right after the other. I guess the only cursed thing about the second movie was that it was a piece of shit. I mean, right. the third one's kind of a piece of shit too. But <laughs> then we had a death. Yeah, direct, it, like directly after the movies come out, these people die. I think that there. You don't think that that's connected? Well, I, and, and to tell you the truth, I think there's more. I, I can't remember Probably, what it yeah, is. I think there is, but I can't. I, there's off like, the top of my head, I can't remember. I think there's actually a lot more. Um, right? That you know, I, we're getting I more bother. evidence that these are definitely cursed and not coincidences. Well, they did it to themselves. <laughs> you know. Um, maybe that's why Steven Spielberg were there. That's why film one. That's why Steven Spielberg didn't credit himself as the director because then the spirits wouldn't come after him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wakes up in his bedroom. It wasn't me. <laughs> Look at the credits. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's unfortunate that that had to happen because I think that I don't know if it's really a franchise that needed to to exist. I think that the the first movie is great because, like you and I have talked about before. The hardest problem with sequels is how does this like otherworldly, amazing, crazy, awful, terrifying thing happen again? Right. Which is the Jaws factor, you know, like. Well, I think they do it OK in Poltergeist because the the how it happens to them again is it's like, oh, the ghosts who had Carol Ann want her back. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not like just a, sh a one biological organism that blew up and now is back yeah, or something or doing or this animal acting irrationally again. Right. Like it is like, oh, we're the ghosts from the first one. We're here to get our sweet child back. Yeah, that's true. If I guess as long as you've got her, they they always have a reason to come around. Yeah. So um, which is why they didn't make a fourth. Yeah. Well. Yes. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, those poor people. I, I, you know, it's it's a real shame, and it's it's yeah. it's a tragedy. And I, I, I'll have to look up now what those other things are. But there's kind of a laundry list of of unfortunate events that happened surrounding these movies. But but the movie itself is not unfortunate. There's nothing bad about it. I loved it. I can't believe that Ebert gave it such a like. I don't know, like a, a like a him haunt. Like he was just kind of like ho hum yeah. review. Like that it was like he's like it's got some good special effects. Uh, it's a good summer thriller. I'm like, man, how are you not affected by this movie? Yeah, because um, yes, as a child, it seemed like oh, the next greatest movie of all time has come out. Right, <laughs> like the way people talked about it and the way it permeated the culture. I was just like, oh, this is a movie that uh, people will talk about forever. Right. You know, those guys, they just they have such a bone to pick with horror movies that it's it's a fighting a losing battle there. Yeah. But for the rest of us. And this avoids a lot of the bad tropes of those movies. Yeah. Yeah. This movie doesn't really. um, There's there's nothing that really I mean, they try to compare it to Amityville horror, but those are two totally different movies. Yeah. Um, And yeah, there's there's really not. It's very hard to categorize this movie because part of it is the PG thing that we've talked about. Part of it is that it centers around a family. But there is some sort of weird acceptance by uh, the people, the the viewing public of this as a, like a family movie. Yeah, <laughs> and it really isn't. I mean, like it's not meant for entire families to sit yeah. around and watch. We did. Mine did. Um, but that's because we thought that that's what it was, you know. It's fucking PG, but family movie. But uh, but I'm glad that it's treated that way, and I'm glad that it's kind of um not judged too harshly by anybody other than Gene Siskel and fucking Roger Ebert. But um, but the rest of us love it, and that's all that matters. So in his review, he compared it to some other like movie they covered that I'd never heard. I had never heard of that. I bet they were over the moon like he thinks we're like poltergeist yeah <laughs> right yeah I, I didn't recognize that title either but um but yeah the, thankfully the rest of us you know can watch it for ourselves and like we did and fall in love with it all over again yeah so you recommend it i do yeah i recommend it poltergeist is a good movie folks watch it oh uh, okay well yeah that was poltergeist from 1982 uh, next up in America, it's for 2005, 2005, you can't use the 20 in the aughts, uh, 2005, The Devil's Rejects, the yeah. sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, which I forgot it was, <laughs> but you were like, we're doing the sequel. Yeah, why not? I liked this one, watch both of them, only once, I know I like this one way more than a House of a Thousand Corpses, so. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about Rob Zombie, Tim. I'm sure we're going to have the same opinion on (laughs) Rob Zombie. You know, I uh, even I kind of go a little half and half with okay, him. Well, that's good. Well, you know, I I think he's such a sweet fanboy. Like right. he just he loves he's the really things trying. he loves. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, does it all land the way that it's supposed to? Not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, is I don't know. There's some projects that I think he should have never even been attempted. But <laughs> um. And and those seem to be continuing. <laughs> but uh. But no, Are he's they? cool. Well, I mean, is he he's doing another? Uh, he's, are you talking about Halloween? No, he, um, oh, okay. the monsters. 
Oh, right. Oh, God. I'm so worried about that. Yeah. Maybe it'll be cool as hell and awesome. I don't know. I love the Munsters more than the Adams Family. I was way more of a Munsters kid. Right. Like when the Adams Family came out and everybody was so excited, I'm like, well, it's just the Adams Family. Like, uh, and I love those movies. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I, I grew up on the Munsters. So yeah. that's sacred territory. The key part of the Munsters is they are not the Monsters. Right. That's the whole gist of the show. While they look like monsters, they are the most human. Right. And Rob Zombie will likely have um, one of them rip somebody's arms off. (laughs) But it'll be accidental and fun. Yeah, right. Yeah, it'll be a bit. It'll be fun. And his wife will be in it. But no, I I think that'll stop be... doing that, Rob. <laughs> we um yeah, Devil's Rejects is kind of it's kind of a departure from the stuff that we usually cover. Not not just in the fact that it's well at least slightly newer, but um it's got a little bit of that grittier feel that yeah, we haven't uh, covered much of. No. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So that'll be next week. Uh, and I hope you didn't miss us on our week off last week. It was the Fourth of July and. We didn't want to record on that day. And so we actually got, we were like, that's nonsense. Let's get together early the next morning. (laughs) So we're doing an early AM record right now, which is fun. But yeah, we took a week off because it's a national holiday and we both celebrate it to the T. Anyway. So yeah, next week, Devil's Rejects uh, from 2005. Um, Please check out our website, slumberpodcastmassacre.com. Um, shoot us a review on Apple Podcasts. I was looking at some metrics. A lot of people listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Uh, apparently, that helps a lot. Just a little rate and review. So, uh, you know, take a couple seconds out of your day. Do that for us. <clears throat> uh, also, huge thanks to our uh, patrons. Uh, you help make this show possible, and we really appreciate you. Uh, so, yeah, that's that. Tim, do you got anything else to say about Poltergeist? Well, not so much about Poltergeist, but I just wanted to take this opportunity, like any opportunity that I have, to tell you that you are my own personal brand of heroin. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> well, it looks like somebody needs to go back and watch a few more Twilight movies. Oh. <laughs> Wait, did they say personal brand of heroin? Yes, it's such a weird-ass line. Ugh. When Edward I'm is- also watching them with... I'm only watching them because I'm listening to the a commentary track oh, okay. of another podcast I listen to. Oh, okay. So my full attention is not on the movies. I'm, but I'm watching with subtitles. But I don't remember uh, a personal heroine line. Well, just start at the beginning and go through them again. That will never happen. I'm <laughs> never watching those movies again. Maybe two, maybe five. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Fuck Twilight. Bye, Tim. Bye. I love your Twilight.